Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. As Pastor Matthew Weaver just talked about, we're going to spend some time lamenting. And here's a prayer. If you can follow along on the screen. Father, we pray for your justice to prevail. You are all-powerful, sovereign, righteous, just, and loving. You do not and will not let injustice go unnoticed nor unpunished. We mourn and lament the sin of racism we've committed and experienced. Sadly, the sin of racism continues to exist both personally and systemically in our culture. Despite all people being created in your image, we do not treat one another with dignity and value. We know that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have ultimately righted wrong, including racism. Through Jesus, you have defeated sin, death, and hell. Allow us to experience your justice now. And at the same time, empower us to execute your justice, especially in regard to racism. We trust in you, Father. We praise you for your past and present justice and anticipate your future justice. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Well, welcome again to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. Also, welcome those watching online. Can we welcome them for watching? There you go. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Amos. When was the last time you read the book of Amos? It's a pro- he's a prophet, so turn toward like the middle of your Bible, and somewhere around there you're going to find the book of Amos. And we are going to be in Amos 5 tonight. I want to encourage you that last week we kicked off this series and we also have a ton of resources online. And so if you go to that website, nola.vcmvmt.com slash racism, you're not only going to find all of our sermons, all the sermon notes, but you're going to find recommended uh, books, recommended uh, documentaries, recommended online articles, and that is a growing resource. We're just trying to add as much stuff as we possibly can to uh, help us grow and learn more about that. The journey that we're on, we started last week looking at this question, why does racism exist from Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3? Like I said, tonight we're going to be in Amos 5 verses 1 through 17, and we're going to be answering this question, why does God hate racism? Next week, we're going to look at this question, why should the church fight racism. We're going to go back to Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22 and we're going to wrap up this teaching series answering the question, what's the church's answer to racism? 
from 1 Corinthians 13. And the point of why we are going through this, yes, we're in a cultural moment right now, right? And Christians should have something to say about these kinds of cultural moments. But the most important thing that we want to do is we want to know what God says about racism. And then we want to know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to respond to the sin of racism. And that's why we're looking at these questions as we think about the sin of racism. As I thought about uh, preaching from Amos 5, I thought about Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, article, letter, uh, his, what he wrote in 1963, letter from a Birmingham jail. And I wanted to share a passage of that letter because he talks a lot about justice in that letter. And I want you as much as you can to not think about 1963, but to think about 2020. And I want you to hear what he has to say and how incredibly pertinent it is still today. Here's what he wrote. He says, in spite of my shattered dreams, I came to Birmingham with the hope that the white religious leadership of this community would see the justice of our cause and with deep moral concern would serve as the channel through which our just grievances could reach the power structure. I had hoped that each of you would understand, but again, I have been disappointed. I've heard numerous Southern religious leaders admonish their worshipers to comply with the desegregation decision because it's the law. But listen to what he says here. But I have longed to hear white ministers declare, follow this decree, de decree because integration is morally right and because the Negro is your brother. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. Listen to what he says here. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard many ministers say, those are social issues which, with which the gospel has no real concern. And I've watched many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion which makes a strange, unbiblical distinction between body and soul, between the sacred and the secular. I read that this week. And as I read that, I was like, how in the world was this written in 1963? And yet some of the things that he says in this letter are still things we're debating. And the issue that he is getting at ultimately is the issue of justice. Last week when we kicked off this series, one of the things that I said that we've got to get away from is trying to divide this issue of racism saying it's a political issue and it's not a religious issue. Or it's a political issue and it's not a social issue. Or it's a political issue and not a gospel issue. And I think part of what MLK was getting at is that reality that if there's an issue that deals with people 
then it deals with the justice of God, which has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so part of what we're getting at today and looking at when we think about that question, why does God hate racism, is we're getting at the justice and the righteousness of God. Last week I shared this definition just as a foundation, and I want to share it again. It's that question, what is racism? How do we define racism? Just a simple definition. It's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that's a minority or marginalized. So let's look at Amos Five. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. Amos says this, Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall certainly go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing." Seek the Lord and live, lest He break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is His name. Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate Him who reproves in the gate and they abhor Him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from Him, you have built houses of hewn stone but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning, and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through their midst, says the Lord. Amos 5. I want to give you just a really, really, really quick overview, because I have a feeling most of us haven't read the book of Amos, or 
if we have read it, it's been a really long time since we have. By the way, if you're in our Bible reading plan, I believe we're getting ready to read it next week. And so you might want to pick that up and read the book of Amos. Here's my understanding of the purpose of the book of Amos. It was to proclaim God's rejection of Israel because their worship of God was superficial and their treatment of people unjust. And so the prophet Amos speaks on behalf of God to tell them, listen, you're fake and you treat people like garbage. And God has a problem with that. Now, here's the thing that I'm really excited about. I didn't even plan this, but as I started to study Amos 5, I came upon a chiasm. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've noticed that I've talked about chiasms three times. And Amos 5, verses 1 through 17, is a chiasm. And here's the reason I want you to see this is because the author, Amos, is using this to make a point. And that's how we're going to walk through this text today. So the first verses, verses 1 through 3 and verses 16 through 17 correspond. It's a lamentation. In verses 4 through 6 and verses 14 through 15, there's an admonition. In verses 7 and verses 10 through 13, there's the accusation. And right there in the middle, there is a hymn in basically verses 8 through 9, with the center of this being Yahweh is His name, or the Lord is His name. And so as we unpack Amos 5, we're going to follow this structure, because I think this is what the author wants us to see from this text. So here's the first thing. As we think about the question, why does God hate racism? All of these are actions for us. Number one, lament the sin of racism. That's why we started this sermon with a prayer of lament. And what happens in Amos 5, verses 1 through 3, and verses 16 through 17, is God calls the people of Israel to lament. Why? Number one, because God was about to judge the nation of Israel. And here's the thing. Judgment does not feel good. And so God is telling the people of Israel, listen, you're probably wanting to go ahead and lament this because it's about to happen and you're not going to like it. But here's the ultimate reason why the people of Israel were not only being judged but should have lamented is because they had failed to repent and turn from their sin. So deep in their heart of who they were, God was calling them to judgment. And he was trying to say to them, listen, here's where you're guilty. And it should break your hearts that you have committed these sins. And the first thing that you should do is recognize your sin and lament the fact that you've committed that sin. Now, here's the reality, right? How often in our culture do we use the word lament? Rarely, right? I mean, in fact, we don't want to lament often. We want to be happy. We want to be joyful. We want to have a good time. But throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see not only the reality of lamenting, but also the encouragement to Lament. And so when we think about lamenting, here's the definition that I've shared before. A lament is an honest 
an expected expression of our battle with the brokenness of ourselves and the rest of the world. It's when we look out at our world and we see brokenness in our midst. Whether it's brokenness that we've committed, it's sin that we've committed, or we just see the world. The explosion in Beirut. That should cause us to lament. Because that's not good, right? We don't want to see people die and people suffering in these tragedies. The racism in our culture, that's what we're talking about. We should lament that. And listen, here's the reality. Sometimes in life, when you have no power to necessarily change something, or you're stuck in this place where you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The best thing that we can do is lament. Because God hears that. He he calls us to lament. He wants us to lament. Because it's a reminder, when we lament, it's a reminder that things are not how they should be. Right? Last week, what did we talk about? That idea of shalom, the way things are supposed to be. And when we lament, we're reminded that right now in our world, things are not the way that they should be. And it's an encouragement for us to go back and look at the gospel and be reminded of God's ultimate plan for our world. And I think for for you and I, the challenge is this. Rather than lament God's judgment, we should ultimately lament our sin first. So last week, we spent a ton of time talking about why the sin of racism exists and, and how we're supposed to repent of those things. And, and for us, I think we should take these sins seriously. And rather than wait for, well, just wait till we get caught, or we'll wait till God says something or does something. Actually, in the midst of the sin, lament the fact that we've committed the sin. Or lament the fact that the sin has been committed. The question for us is this, how will you lament the sin of racism? I would encourage you, one of the the best ways, one of the things that I did this week is I went and wrote the prayer that we shared today, is I went and I looked through the Psalms. And one of the things that we see throughout the book of Psalms is laments. And if you're struggling to figure out what do I say, how do I pray, what do I tell God, go and read the laments in the Psalms. And then take what the psalmist have lamented and turn it into your own words. Lament the specific sins that either you've committed or you've seen people commit. But if we're going to see how God hates racism, we have to lament the fact that the sin of racism exists. So we lament the sin of racism. But obviously we can't end our response to the sin of racism with just lamenting. We must also, number two, do this, pursue the justice of God. Verses four four through six, Amos writes, seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Verses 14 
through 15. Seek good and not evil that you may live. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. All of that. Remember, it's this chiasm. And so two times, just in different ways, Amos is saying these things. And here's the reality. The issue with the people of Israel was not that they weren't religious. When, the, when Amos talks about these places that maybe for some of us we're unfamiliar with in verses 4 through 5, Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba, those were places where people went to worship. And so what the prophet is saying is, listen, you guys do a fantastic job of going to all the religious places and doing all of the religious things. What God is getting at is the problem was not that Israel was religious, but that they weren't just. And how did Jesus, we've said this the last few weeks, how did Jesus summarize the entire Old Testament? Love God and love people. And God's issue is, yeah, you look religious, but if you were truly following me, If you truly loved me, if you were truly worshiping me, then what would happen is your worship would overflow into how you treat your brothers and sisters, how you treat these people, how you love the people that are around you. And just a reminder, in the book of Amos, the people that the Israelites were mistreating were not strangers. They were people of Israel. They were just poor. And so God's problem is that Israel, not that they weren't religious, but that they weren't just. They were trying to love God. They were acting like they loved God, but they didn't love people. And if you don't love people, then ultimately you're really going to have a hard time or not be able to really love God. I mean, that's what in 1 John 4.20, that's what the Apostle John, who spent time with Jesus, says. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is saying, you cannot love God and hate people. And people is a collective of everybody. Whether they're white, whether they're black, whether they're Latino, whether they're Asian, whether they're disabled, whether they're male, whether they're female, whether they're married, whether they're single, you cannot love God and hate people. And for the Israelites, they were pretending like they loved God, but they didn't really love people. And all of this, all of this gets at the justice of God. So how does Amos understand God's justice? One author describes biblical justice like this, and I think it's a a sound understanding. He says this, Biblical justice is the equal treatment of all human beings solely for the reason that as humans they possess bestowed worth from God. Bestowed worth. Do you know what that means? They didn't earn anything to get the worth. When they were born, when they were conceived, God gave them the worth. So if God gives the worth, then no one else can be able to take away that worth. It's bestowed. 
So why do all people deserve to be treated equally? Because they're created in the image of God. Very beginning, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why is that such a big deal? Because God created every single thing else on the face of this planet. And nothing else was created in the image of God. Nothing. And part of what God is doing when He says He's creating us in the image of God is He's separating us from the rest of creation. To say that there's something unique, there's something different about humans compared to the rest of our creation. One author describes being created in the image of God like this, and I love some of the imagery that he uses. He says, God has set humanity in his creation as walking billboards. Just an incredible image of what it means to be created in the image of God. That we've been created as walking billboards of God's own might and authority. Humans reflect the reign and goodness of God when they justly rule over the created order. The reign of humanity at its best is an advertisement for the sovereignty of God over the cosmos. Another author, when he's talking about the image of God, he says, the resemblance of man to God bespeaks the infinite worth of a human being and affirms the inviolability of the human person. You see, every single human being regardless of what they look like, has been created in the image of God. And therefore, God's justice says all people are to be treated equally, regardless of their skin color, regardless of how much money they have, regardless of what, what their abilities are. Every single person is to be treated Equally. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. And so the question for you and I is how will we pursue the justice of God? We're going to talk a little bit more about that. So we lament the sin of racism, we pursue the justice of God. Number three, we repent of the sin of racism. Verses 7 and verses 10 through 13. Look at verse 7. He says, O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. Wormwood was this uh, bitter tasting root. And it, it was, had a poisonous extract. So he's... <laughs> Amos is not saying good things about this. 
And look, if you look at verses 10 through 13, so Amos provides this very general understanding of what they've been doing. You've turned justice to wormwood and you've cast down righteousness to earth. But if you look at verses 10 through 13, he lays out examples. And he says things like this. He says, you trample on the poor. You exact taxes of grain from him. You afflict the righteous. You take bribes. You turn aside the needy in the gate. I mean, he's, these are all the things that they do. And I'm telling you, just go and read the rest of the book of Amos. There's so much that I wish we could talk about. At one point, I shared this with my, with my staff this week. He literally, Amos chapter 4, verse 1. If this doesn't make you want to read this book, I don't know what will. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. And he's literally calling these people fat because they're the ones eating all of the food while their brothers and sisters are starving to death. So the, the issue, again, is about justice and righteousness. For, for us to think about the word justice, here's a, here's a good understanding of the Old Testament idea of justice. Justice refers to legal matters such as fairness in the courts. So, Real quick side note, for, for you and I, we talked about this last week, right? If we're going to fight racism, the idea of biblical justice has something to say with changing legal policy. Because if the legal code, if the legal law isn't fair, then that's not just. And that was true for the Old Testament just as much as it should be true for us. And so justice is legal matters such as fairness in the courts, and more broadly to the divinely given moral principles by which society was to be ordered. Righteousness, it's the fulfillment of the responsibilities in a relationship. Its focus is on rightness, doing what is right. And when these two terms are together, it designates a right and just order in society. Now here's what I want you to hear. Because I think the biblical understanding of justice and righteousness is not just recognizing that something is wrong and fixing it. But it's also working to make sure things are always right. That we're always working to maintain justice. That we're always doing the right thing. It's not just, oh, I see that that's broken, let me fix it. But it's we're living our lives as if justice and righteousness mattered. And if you notice these understandings of justice and righteousness, yes, for some things with justice, there's this broader context. There's this legal context. But, but part of that idea of righteousness gets at our personal responsibility. That if we are going to repent of the sin of racism and pursue the justice of God, then it means it has direct implications on how we live our lives as individual humans. That we're fair. That we're just. That we're righteous. Yes, we've got to change systems, and I think that's the point of the biblical justice is making sure that the systems are just. But it's also about making sure we're living lives of fairness and justness. 
two other really important things as we think about repentance. We talked about this a little bit last week, and as I reflected on this more this week, I wish I would have said more about this, because for some of us, the danger is that we think or we say we have nothing to repent from. And the challenge is, and this is all about, if you remember last week, and if you haven't watched, go back and watch last week's sermon, because what I tried to set up in the very beginning is recognizing the fact that the way in which we see the world is not always the way in which the Bible tells us to see the world. It's not always the way God wants us to see the world. And so we live in a very Western, individualized culture where everything is about me. And, and that boils down not only just to, like, I get what I want, but I only need to repent of things that I'm personally guilty of, the things that I've personally done. And what I want you to understand, this is a biblical worldview understanding, is that in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, there is such a thing as corporate repentance. Go and look in, in the Old Testament where in the book of Joshua, one man, Achan, steals a bunch of stuff. And you know who pays for that penalty? Not just Achan, but his entire family dies for his sin. In the book of Daniel, Daniel is in exile in Babylon and the people of Israel are all either killed or exiled and Daniel repents before the Lord for the sins of his people, most of which he didn't commit. But he recognizes that he is not an individual, but he is a part of the people of God. And therefore he has to repent for their sins. And so for us, when we think about repenting of the sin of racism, there are moments in life as a white man where I recognize that I haven't done everything I need to do to fight the sin of racism. Even if I've never done something to a black person or said something to a black person, but you know what that means for me? I look at the rest of my people who are white Not just white people, but white Christians. And I recognize that we've done a lot of terrible things. Or we've sat beside and let justice not happen. And for us as Christians, we have to think about repentance. Not just, I committed that sin, but there are people that I come from that have committed sins. And it is a biblical ideal to corporately repent of sins committed. And I think part of what Amos is calling the people of Israel to, I mean, look, think about the book of Amos. Do you think every single Israelite was a terrible human who didn't love their people? I doubt that. But God was about to judge the entire people of Israel, which is why Amos calls them to Repent. Second thing, and I talked about this a little bit last week. When we talk about the word repentance, the word literally means to turn. 
And so for some of us, when we think about repentance, what we think about is it's sorrow. I'm sorry for my sin. And that's true. You need to have sorrow for your sin. You need to be broken over your sin. You need to be broken over that corporate sin that you're repenting of. But part of repentance is turning away. And so if you've been walking one way, you're turning to begin to walk the other way. And that's where the biblical justice and the biblical righteousness comes into play. Because yes, you might not have ever said something or done something to a black person or of another race that was quote-unquote racist. But if you repent of the sin of racism, you're turning away and you're working to fight against racism. You're working to be just and you're working to be righteous and you're working to make sure that all people are created in the image of God. We repent of the sin of racism. Racism is a sin because it leads to people oppressing other people, thereby committing an injustice. And ultimately, to oppress people is to not love people. So the question for us is, how will we fight against the sin of racism? Last point. We lament the sin of racism. We pursue biblical justice. We repent of the sin of racism. And lastly, we trust the justice of God. Verses 8 and 9. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, those are star constellations, and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the water. Basically, he's saying, who is the one that makes the constellations? Who's the one that makes it morning? And who's the one that makes it night? Who's the one that brings rain? What does he say? The Lord is his name. Verse 9, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress? Everything in verses 8 and 9. And don't forget, go back to that chart that I shared about the chiasm. What's right there in the middle? Verses 8 and 9. Why? Because what Amos wants to remind the people of Israel is don't forget who your God is. And what Amos is saying is, listen, I'm going to talk to you about biblical justice and I'm going to tell you about righteousness, but it's God that's laid this down for you. And don't forget the two things that I want you to see from this passage. Number one, God is sovereign and powerful. So you can go around and you can be racist or not do things that uh, would treat people well or not do things to end racism and think you're getting away with it. But what Amos wants to remind is that God is always in control and he's always powerful. And the point of, being, of God being sovereign and God being powerful is that God sees injustice and he will make it right. And so for you and I, we have to understand that God has and he will execute his justice. Three simple things that we understand about God as he 
as he has and he will execute his justice. Number one, the death and resurrection of Jesus has executed justice. Because sin is contrary to a holy God. And so when Jesus went to the cross and took on our sin and the sins of humanity and rose from the grave, God was executing justice. He was making what is wrong right. That's the incredible message of the gospel for us. The fact that we have Jesus, that we know Jesus, that we are saved from God's wrath and brought back into relationship with God shows us God's justice. But he's also executed and continues to execute his justice through his church. It's not just a pithy thing to say that the church is the, are the hands and feet of Jesus. The Bible means that. One author says this, God executes justice through the obedience of God's people. So just challenge for you and a challenge for me. If we see injustice in our world, what are we doing about it? Because one of the means by which God has chosen to bring about justice and righteousness is through his church. That's what the author of Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says. He says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Yeah, one of the, the, the biblical worldview ideas is that we work for the cause of those who are in need. Those who are marginalized, those who are being persecuted, those who are in need, the Christian is to go to. So we execute the, the justice of God in His church. And then lastly, God, we have, to, we have to believe this, we have to know this, God will decisively judge evil in the end. There is going to come a day in history when Jesus returns and sits on his throne and judges evil once and for all. And for the moments in life when you see something racist or you see something evil happen and you're like, what is God going to do about that? Do not forget that one day God will judge all evil and make all things right. He's going to decisively judge all evil. How will you trust the justice of God? That's a tough question. When you see a lot of hurt and a lot of brokenness and a lot of evil and a lot of suffering in our world, going back and remembering that we have to trust the justice of God. Part of the reason I went and remembered Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail was because I remember him quoting Amos 5. And he quotes Amos 5, verse 24, but I want to read verses 21 through 24 to you as we close. Amos says this, he says, I hate, or this is God speaking through Amos, by the way, so... The strong language is actually God. It says, I hate, I despise your feasts, 
And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Saying all the religious stuff that I've asked you to do, I hate it all. It's terrible. Why? Look at verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The, the point is that the righteousness of God should not be something that's just trickling. It's not like a little brook that dries up half of the year and then is flowing the other part of the year. It should be flowing all of the time. The point that Amos is trying to make is that the justice of God and the righteousness of God should be a steady, constant thing in our world. And if that's true, yes, God's going to execute His justice, but we cannot forget that part of the way that we make this happen is we be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring the justice and righteousness of God to our world. God hates racism because racism is contrary to the justice of God. If you get anything tonight, write that down. God hates racism because racism is contrary to the justice of God. So for you and I, the question for us is what will our response be to racism? Every single one of us probably has a different nuanced response to how we're supposed to engage racism. But if you are a Christian, you have a response. The sin of racism is not a political issue. The sin of racism is a gospel issue that Jesus came, died, and rose again to defeat. The sin of racism is part of the reason the Holy Spirit came down and dwelt within us that we might live holy lives pursuing God's justice and His righteousness. And I just, I want to remind you this because this week I had to remind myself of my own sermon. I always hate when God does that. Like, I just preach that and I'm just complaining and I'm angry. And then God's like, you know, remember that thing I told you to tell everybody else? Maybe you should think about that. And this week I had to remember that this is a battle. Like I said last week, I'm not going to preach four sermons and the sin of racism is gone. 
pursuing biblical justice and biblical righteousness is a battle. But we have a response as followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us to respond to you. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, that he came and he lived and he died and he rose from the grave, executing your justice, helping us see that not only are all people created in your image, but all people are deserving of your love. And so for us, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's tough. It's a, not an easy topic, God, but help us walk out of this place, walk out into our worlds with a response to the sin of racism. Because your justice and your righteousness are just too important. So in this moment now, help us respond to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.